Hi everyone, this is Yin and welcome to Growth From Failure. I wanted to create this show to highlight extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up, but with a slight twist. I'll have conversations with people from a variety of professions, from investors to entrepreneurs to educators to athletes, because I enjoy hearing a really good success story from any discipline. But I wanted to view their story more through a lens of struggle or hardship and even failure. Because for me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow aren't from the wins or triumphs, but from the setbacks and defeat. So instead of reviewing their highlight reel with all the success and accomplishments, we'll talk about some of the bloopers that includes the mistakes and the rocky roads, which can be glossed over, but oftentimes more impactful to their mindset and success. I hope hearing their journey inspires you to not fear failing, but motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. This is the story of Dr. Allison Hall, founder and CEO of My Kid Blooms. In this episode, we discuss Allison's journey of becoming and practicing as a pediatric physical therapist over the last 20 years and eventually starting the platform My Kid Blooms that helps connect families with health clinicians. We talk about her academic path in traveling the country and the world. And I don't know if it's individually or a combination of her global perspective of being a full-time working mom, of balancing three kids and her demanding career, but it's very clear that Allison is an enormous empath. And while focusing on all the children that she works with to help them heal or recover or grow, she also understands the importance of looking at the family as a whole and thinking about who needs support, who needs assistance with therapy, who might struggle with mental health. This conversation discusses trauma overall, and it helped me realize I spend time on acute injuries or particular problems, but I haven't worked to unpack some other trauma that might seem finite, but has really been infused in my life. And so I'm grateful for her inspiration to deal with that. I hope you enjoy this interview with this consistent and amazing resource for families, Dr. Allison Hall. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining. And a big thank you to John for the introduction. We had met a couple years ago through work and ended up speaking about work and then migrated to child development and shared some stories about our kids. And then he mentioned your work and your background. And so a couple of months ago when we reconnected, he had mentioned your amazing launch, which sounded like it took a few years in the making. So I can't wait to talk about My Kid Blooms and all of the lessons learned in creating this really amazing platform, which I believe is one of the first in terms of connecting healthcare professionals with e-learning and connection opportunities. So really excited to talk about that. But I know that you've listened to the show. Thank you so much for your support. And others really enjoy hearing the start of the show, which is a journey through how they got to where they got. So if you don't mind rewinding your highlight reel and sharing where you grew up. Yes, John and I both grew up in a suburb of Dallas. And so that's where we met many moons ago. I was really blessed to have a stable upbringing. Um, I had one older brother and my parents were really hardworking people who taught me how to have a strong work ethic. They were always the type to put their hand up, help out, whether it was the president of the booster club or they needed referees or if they needed, a, you know, somebody to organize the referees for the soccer tournaments, you know, we were a real soccer family. So they were always that type of family to put their hand up and help and, and support my brother and I, however they could. 
Love that. And I always like to ask people how they chose the college they went to and what they decided to study. Not surprisingly, almost all my guests have said that when they went to college, they had no idea what they wanted to do. And it was more of a social education than an academic one. But how did you choose the college you went to and what did you decide to study? So I said that, you know, we were a soccer family. So I grew up playing everything, but then stuck with soccer the longest. And when it was my senior year of high school and I just deciding, where do I go? Where do I go? I ended up getting mono at the second semester of my senior year. And when I got that, suddenly soccer was ended. My team that I'd been playing with competitively, we traveled across the nation playing together and my high school team was going to state and I couldn't play in these games. And it was just really quite upsetting to have something that I devoted so much time energy into. So the interesting thing was I had been recruited to play at Centenary College of Louisiana prior to getting sick. And so I had this half academic, half athletic scholarship out there dangling. And so I had some colleges I was excited about. And kind of when it got ended for me, I said, you know, I'm not actually done playing soccer. And that was that was the only school that I was kind of thinking about playing at. And my friends that I've been playing soccer with since I was 12, we said, yeah, let's go do this. And so I was there playing in college, great experience for two years. And then I remember my sophomore year playing on the field. I was a center midfielder sitting there playing on the field. And one of my friends who I had played soccer with since I was 12, she was sitting on the bench. And I remember thinking she deserves to be in this spot. I've kind of lost my passion for it. And so I put my hand up to come out, which I don't know if I had ever done it before then. And I said, hey, sub. And I remember having like a real moment on the bench there going, I need to do something different. And so over that next semester, I kind of evolved into what that would be. And I had three options in my head. One was graduate early because I could have graduated in three years. I had enough credits to do that. The other one was go study abroad because I had had a real big itch to go do that. And the third option was transfer somewhere. And so I ended up applying to one school and that was Duke. I ended up being accepted into Duke and transferred junior year. And that was the first time I had ever in my life been somewhere where I didn't know people and ended up that my grandfather passed away one of the first weeks of school. So I had to then go home to Texas, which felt like an eternity away because it was the first time I was more than three hours away from my parents and flew back to Texas for this funeral and everything. It was sad. And then I come back and my roommate had left a note saying, Hey, I decided to transfer back to my other school. (laughs) So there I was, didn't know anybody, new school, working my socks off, not even sure what classes I'm going to take. Still sad. My grandfather died. And I'm like, okay, what's my options here? I could transfer back. And I said, no, pull your socks up. Let's do this. And so I did. And I ended up finishing and graduating cum laude and really having a great experience there at Duke and having amazing resources and experiences and meeting fantastic people and professors. And I was really, really proud of that transition because as I said, it was the first time I'd ever really pushed myself to that level personally, professionally, educationally. (laughs) So 
I got a Bachelor of Science in Health Psychology. So that was also another interesting thing because basically I was in the classes with all the pre-med students. And so it was a different experience there because they very, very intense (laughs) curriculum, but I loved it. Did you decide to stay local after you graduated? What was your first job or where did you end up going right after? I decided to go back home and study for my GRE and apply to PT school. I had done an internship during my sophomore year at Shriners Hospital. This is what I want to do. And then I had worked in the summers in physical therapy clinics and said, this is really the profession I want to go into. But after, if you go straight into school from undergrad, I wasn't wanting to do that. I wanted to breathe for a year. (laughs) And it was probably the best decision I ever made because I came back home, taught preschool, which was really a great learning experience for me as a parent and as well as working with kids because I also knew I wanted to go into pediatrics really. And so did that, moved back to Dallas for a year and then came time for graduate school. And I was very grateful I made that decision. Northwestern was an amazing experience. The people, the class, the size, the professors, they are really thought leaders on changing into motor learning ways of teaching. And yeah, I won't get to the ins and outs of it, but it was a really great experience. And you guys have traveled quite a bit. So from Texas to Chicago to New York, London, let's talk about that a little bit. After I graduated from school. I got my master's and my clinical doctorate from Northwestern. Then we ended up going to New York. He got a job there in New York City and so decided to move there. And I worked, my first job was in early intervention. And so went and worked there and had a great experience. And then 9-11 happened. We were there for 9-11 and that was changing in so many ways. John worked across the street from the Twin Towers, which was horrible. And then I worked across the river so I could see the Twin Towers. And, you know, I had very vivid images of when the Twin Towers were up and when they weren't. And then on top of that, my parents were working for the government right near the Pentagon. And so three of the most important people in my life, I didn't know how they were for a good chunk of time. And It's funny, I tell like my kids this story and they don't get it. Well, like, how did you not know? And I'm like, well, it was pre-social media. The cellular networks were horrible. The only way we were able to connect was like later on in the afternoon through Dallas calling and making sure that connection worked. Then after New York, then we ended up moving to Dallas. He got another job in Dallas and then did that and he wanted to go to graduate school. So it was his turn. <laughs> so both of us still had that itch to live abroad. And so he, one of the schools he applied to was London Business School. And so that was a fantastic opportunity. So we went and lived there, loved it, ended up living there for a decade and having all three of our children there. So fantastic experience. I love that. So now you're sitting back in Texas How did that happen? Did you guys realize we want to travel? We definitely want to show our kids the world, but at some point knew that you wanted to come back home? Exactly. I mean, that's a big piece of it. We were really enjoying our life there and everything, but it was one of those things where our daughter was approaching third grade and we're like, well, if we we think we're going to get her back in, should we get her back into the American school system sooner rather than later? And unfortunately, John's dad had a stroke and it made us feel very far away from home. We were like, well, we're not going to be able to be as close to our family as we want to in the future. And so 
we decided to narrow down to some of the cities that we wanted to come back to. And Austin was one of them. And so we up and left and came here and enjoying it. Yes. It was a big change, (laughs) But, but it's been good. So yeah, now we've been back for over seven years. Well, you beat the rush because now it seems to be quite a Texas where everyone goes to Austin, it seems, or anywhere somewhere in Texas. It's just amazing. Yes, <laughs> you're right. And so one thing I definitely want to talk about is you've interacted with thousands and thousands of families as a variety of roles, whether as a friend, as a parent, as a teacher, as a counselor. What drew you initially to pediatric and therapy? It was a consistent feeling. I always tell my children this. I tell, you know, go with whatever's consistent feeling. So when I first started my first internship when I was a sophomore and I worked at that Shriners, I was like, oh, I love this. Okay. And then, so then I went and I worked in a physical therapy clinic that wasn't pediatrics. And I'm like, I still like the profession. I, the population is not right necessarily for me. Later on, just had more experiences and I was very sure that this was what I wanted to do. And I've never strayed away from it. I stayed as my 20 years of being a physical therapist, I always stayed in pediatrics. And I feel like the interesting thing within pediatrics too, is that even within pediatrics, I've changed. I worked in a hospital. I worked in early intervention. I worked in schools for children with special needs. I've worked in... So even within that, I kind of never stopped learning. And there's still some things that I've never done, like work in the NICU, which I think would be also interesting. You know, So there's all these things that even though you stay in pediatrics, you still have your specialty within pediatrics. And, and that's kind of part of one of the reasons I've made the platform is because of that. I love that. Well, let's talk about the platform. What prompted you to really do it where it's a heavy lift. And so to do that on top of your additional workload, what catalyzed that movement to say, no, I need this platform to exist. And so since it doesn't exist right now, I'll create it. But what was that first moment that you said, ah, this needs to be done? That's a great question. So when I had my second child, who she's now 13, I had had my previous child two and a half years before that. And I had realized that there was a lot of stuff that I had learned by just being a parent to the first child. And also I was a pediatric physical therapist for several years by that point. And so there was a lot that I learned from doing that as well as from my colleagues, my OTs, the speech therapists, the pediatricians who I interacted with that I was lucky enough to say, Hey, listen, should I be concerned about this? Or, Hey, listen, what should I do about this? Or, Hey, what's the best sippy cup? Or, Oh no, I shouldn't do a sippy cup. Oh, okay. You know, there's all these questions that I was had access to these people to ask. And I was like, I'm so privileged and there needs to be this information out there. And so I said, aha, I should make this platform. Well, granted, this was 13 years ago. The internet was a completely different beast. A lot of us still relied on books, paper books, not even eBooks, there's paper books to, to go through and make these decisions. I relied on that and I relied on my physical therapy books and stuff like that. And so I thought, okay, well, wouldn't it be cool to have this, this trustworthy resource of information for what happens after the baby is born. And so that's where it started. And then I was like, okay, well, let's explore this with a little bit of more curiosity and metrics. And so I worked with UT MBA students and we then did a research project into kind of finding out what parents wanted, you know, as far as content. So let's, okay, let's delve in. If we're going to make this platform with content, what do they want? 
And so we found out all this information that they want, top 10 topics, all this kind of really interesting thing. And I said, hey, let's throw in this question here about telehealth. And let's find out what their interest is in telehealth right now. And we found, so this was in 2019, we found out that 68% of the parents at that time wanted their healthcare provider stop for telehealth. That was a crazy high stat for that period of time. And I said, oh my gosh, Eureka, that's it. We make a connection between the content and the provider. And so then you write a piece of content and then the clinician is then accessible by telehealth to answer any questions or book an appointment or whatever. And so that was the plan. As a clinician, you often, nine times out of 10, when you're doing an eval, they'll say, I read or somebody told me, I Googled. And so you were spending every single time either saying, yes, that's true. Or mm, I think maybe there's some other information that you might be more useful for you. Or, and so I was like, God, we still need this trustworthy piece. It evolved into that. And, and then COVID hit. <laughs> And so it was an interesting thing that now clinicians had to offer telehealth and people who didn't want to jump before were now pushed into telehealth. And and then people who were hesitant to use telehealth now are really comfortable using telehealth. And it doesn't have to be for everything, but maybe just, you know, an initial conversation or some people like to use it exclusively. So it was a very interesting transition in timing of how the events happened. And so then it officially launched just a few months ago, which is very exciting. You had mentioned the pandemic, which is certainly a challenge for everybody. What were some of the other challenges that you faced while launching it? When I think about the biggest challenge was just jumping, just making that first jump, honestly, because 20 years as a therapist, I was starting to feel pretty confident in my skills as a therapist. And then to be like, oh, yeah, now I'm going to go learn how to do stuff I don't know how to do. But it's just that I really see the need for this, that I'm willing to expand my brain and grow my brain and dream about this stuff at night. (laughs) As many entrepreneurs do, wake up, oh, that's how I do it. And I think that first leap, but I mean, there were one of the biggest pivotal conversations I had was with a mom who... I would play this idea off the parents that I was working with, you know, as I'm sitting there treating their babies and like, Hey, you know, so I'm thinking about doing this. What would you think of this? And the parents were like, Oh, that'd be so useful. That'd be so useful. And then I had this one mom tell me, she said, you help my baby and I every day, every time I see you. But she's like, if you make this happen, you can help so many more families. This is the way I'm meant to serve. Now there's research to back it up that like 59% of parents don't seek healthcare because they don't know where to start. The personal conversations of that and the statistics of this that, that made me say, this has to happen. I'd love to hear one example of your work with a particular family or patient. A family that comes to my mind first. It was a family who they had difficult pregnancy, difficult birth. And they trusted me with a lot of knowledge. And there would be times when they would talk to me, they would text me, they would call me. And and I knew in my heart that I was kind of their biggest connection to healthcare. And so treated this baby from young, from young, young, young. And then the tears when the baby walked for the first time during therapy. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I was here for this. 
And then later on, they send you little videos of the child playing in leaves or just all these things that you feel like you've touched somebody's life and you've made them able to experience their child in the way that they had envisioned experiencing their child. And then comes the next transition of getting them into preschool and then trying to figure out, okay, so now what preschool do we put them in? What should we be looking for in this preschool? And just continually being this resource for these families is just absolute pleasure for me. And I know that I'm not unique in this. And this is why I make this platform too, because this magic is happening in cross therapist to therapist and lactation consultant and doctors are making this happen across the board, across the world. And so I just want to make that easier. It's just such an honor to be part of families. And I mean, I'm so grateful for being part of every family I've ever worked with. And I know that there's just amazing things out there happening every day right now (laughs) amongst clinicians who are serving families. I think pediatrics is one of those interesting things that you're serving both the child and all the caregivers. So that might be the educators, that might be the grandparents, that might be the aunt, that might be the babysitter, the mom and dad, the whatever it is, you are serving the whole village. It's not like an orthopedic injury for an adult where you just, the adult comes in and you tell them to do reps, you know, you are serving the whole village and you really have to check in on the whole village and make sure the whole village is working together. You'd mentioned the word entrepreneur. Do you identify as an entrepreneur? Yes, I actually can't picture myself doing anything else now. I have a friend who has maybe something going on like, yes, 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 yes. Let me talk to you about that. I still, I still like dabbling in that, but I, you know, still go back to that conversation I had with that original family that this is what I'm meant to be. Like all my journeys as a, as a therapist, as a parent, my past experiences have led me and my curiosity. And John always tells me, he's like, you've got the right personality for this because I love talking to people. Like I love growing. I love, so 100% I do identify as that. That's great. And what are your goals for My Kid Blooms? I'm just really building this intentionally and strategically. So right now I'm really trying to build by specialty and region first so that we can then provide each of these cohorts that we bring in a really good experience so that we can scale that. Right now, some of the great advice I've gotten is, you know, you're going to have to do things right now that don't scale, and, but it's the learning experience that you can do so that you can then scale this and figure out kind of who you need to bring on and at what stage. And so that is my immediate goal is to bring on with intentionally and, and partnerships, you know, so we're really already have some real exciting partnerships in the works for people who also are trying to provide resources and connections with either their community and, you know, trying to make this big mothership, I call it of my kid blooms, you know, where everybody comes together and in one large community. So great. Well, I'm looking forward to tracking the success of my kid blooms. One thing I just am so curious about because you've had decades of exposure and lessons learned and experience with all these families. What are some of the takeaways that you've had of learning and working with families who go to you for assistance with physical therapy, especially for such a vulnerable age and in that younger demographic? But what are some of the lessons learned from that experience? I think one of the interesting things was also 
moving from England, from America to England to back to America. And I, one of the things I say is like everybody, no matter what your language, where you live, what your healthcare system is, everybody just wants the best for their child. And what may work for one family does not work for another family. And we all just want what's best for our child. And I think the older I got and the more experienced life experience and then also personal experience I got, I also realized that there's a lot of trauma held onto families. And I think that some of the families I'm speaking of is like where they, things were traumatic at birth and traumatic in pregnancy. And then they didn't deal with it because they suddenly had a baby who had special needs. And then they haven't checked their, their own mental health needs and everything. And I had witnessed 9-11. I had witnessed some other traumatic events. And recently I witnessed a very traumatic experience that involved the death of another individual. And it shocked me to my core. And I realized there's so many families that just haven't processed these because that made me go back and process all the things that I had dealt with and that I had never kind of taken the time to process. Cause I was like, Oh, it's okay. I'm getting married now. So let's move on with this or, Oh, I've got a baby that I need to focus on. Okay. Let's get on with this. And, and it came back to this trauma of like the birth and realizing that trauma is not finite. It infuses and everybody deserves to have that looked after. And it was when that happened that I decided we need to have mental health care providers on this platform as well as pediatric and OBGYN. That's how we kind of evolved into it. You glossed over a series of traumatic experiences and stories. And so I don't want to gloss over it too long because it's so important to talk about. And I feel that I could talk to you so much about your professional journey and also your personal journey. So let's double click on your personal journey. In the traumatic experiences, I think that the mental health is so important to talk about that I do want to discuss it. And one conversation I had was with Nikki Foster, who's the amazing combat pilot. She was in the Air Force. And she says one of the things that kept her and helped her remain positive through all the either flashbacks or or experiences of flying over Afghanistan for 200 plus hours, she said, we didn't talk enough about mental health. And honestly, therapy for me was so helpful. You told me a story a while back that was so powerful and you mentioned it a little bit or you alluded to it. Can you share that moment? Because I think that's what catalyzed for you. Holy crap, let's really focus on mental health and trauma because we really don't give ourselves enough time to digest and dissect the trauma and its impact on us. 100%. As I said, I witnessed 9-11. And then unfortunately, I was also attacked when I had a baby in my arms and the best part of London in the middle of the day, really unlikely event, 9-11, unlikely event. The other event that happened that shook me to my core was a plane fell 50 feet in front of my car coming upon two years now ago. It was interesting. I was on lunch break from my work and I was going back to work and I was pulling into an intersection and I could see a plane, but I couldn't hear the plane. And he looked really low. It's a community plane. I could see the plane coming down and I couldn't hear where it was going. And so I looked up, couldn't find it. And so then I just slightly turned and went really slowly. And then all of a sudden the plane fell 50 feet in front of me and skidded across. And then I could see, you know, gas coming out of the the plane and I could see people in there. And it's just one of those times when I, I didn't know what to do. And as a 
helper at heart. It was like, oh gosh, what do I do? I mean, I was the first person to call 911 on the situation and tried to get help there in an amazing way. There was a off-duty firefighter who came just up the street not long after that. And he and another man came and to help the two people that were in the plane. And it was just one of those times when I was just like, how does this happen? It was just like 9-11, like, how am I here? How does this, how does this happen? And how does this happen again? To, like, I mean, just, this just doesn't happen. And so it really kind of froze me after that and tried to figure out how do I deal with this? How do I cope with this? And how can I use this unfortunate experience to grow from it? I couldn't get out of bed for a couple of days. And I just kept on thinking back and thinking back. And, and one of the things that kept on coming back into my head was the birth of my children. Well, my children were not, it was not particularly traumatic. All three of them were quote failure to progress, which I don't like that term, but you know, that's ended up becoming cesarean sections each time, even though I tried to have all of them in a different way. And it's like, once I started delving into trauma, I realized that trauma is anytime there's like a perceived threat to you or the people around you. And for whatever reason, that was a perceived threat in my subconscious, my conscious, whatever it was. And I, and it made me realize that there's all of this that I didn't even realize was in there. And I'm sure this is in there for these other parents and, and they deserve to make mental health part of their continuum of personal self-care. I really believe that that's part of your brain. You cannot dissociate your brain. If your knee hurt, you would go take care of your knee. If your back hurts, you would go take care of your back. If your brain's hurting and you can't get up out of bed, you need to go take care of that as well. Realize that that's the reason why this is on the platform too. I want people to be coming here and saying, oh, which cup should I get for my baby? At the same time as saying, oh, wow, there's somebody who deals with postpartum depression. Well, is this postpartum depression or is this just baby blues, you know? And just realizing this happened. It's, it's Maternal Mental Health Week. And I found out 20% of parent mothers deal with that depression and anxiety. 20%, that's a big chunk of mamas. But yet, how many people get help? Probably not a great part, part of that. I just want to make a real standardized way for people to address their whole body and their whole family. That's fantastic. And I know you're starting locally in Texas. I'm looking forward to seeing that grow nationwide. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And there's a partnership aspect to it. So there are currently therapists on there from across the nation because the way the model works is they also will get advertised on another website as well as our website. And then it kind of plugs into the My Kid Limbs Mothership. So more focused, but yet still has lots of potential to expand rapidly across the nation. So. That's awesome. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to start asking you some questions I ask all my guests on the show, starting with who or what inspires you? On a day-to-day basis, it's still the families that I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm working countless hours for. Somebody asked me the other day, how many hours do you think you work? I'm like, I don't even know. A lot. (laughs) And those families that I've worked with, that I've seen struggle, that they need this solution. And then as well as the healthcare providers who it's been a hard year for them, right? And they just need a simple way to reconnect and to get their revenue back. I've heard of those clinicians really struggling and trying to find a way to get back onto their feet and to attract the people that they have the passion and expertise to to help. And so they all inspire me. I love that. 
One question I loved when a guest actually suggested it, they were listening to an interview and they said, oh, this person has this superpower. And I love that so much. And so I started asking people more recently what they think their superpower is. So I'll ask you, what is your superpower, Dr. Hall? I feel like my superpower is probably a combination of curiosity with a gift of gab. So so I'm not afraid to talk. You'll probably have to um, cut me off on the podcast at some point because I can talk for hours. But I had the great privilege of being in Div Inc., which is a tech accelerator here in Austin, which is doing amazing things. And that also started the week after lockdown. So it was like a lot of changes all at once and completely has changed the trajectory of my business. And I was always willing to put my hand up and say, hey, listen, I don't understand this. Hey, I'm curious, like, hey, can I talk to you afterwards? Hey, what else should I read? And so that willingness to speak up, and that's probably something I also learned from my mom. <laughs> She's pretty, and also just live with curiosity and grace and for myself and others. That's fantastic. Well, you have over 20 plus years of experience with pediatrics and physical therapy. You've started this amazing platform. You have three amazing kids. What are you most proud of? I would think the thing that comes to my mind initially is just the resilience of my family and the grace we've all given each other in the world around us for the past year, really. Five of us here in the house for a while, you know, every week we're kind of reevaluating things, understanding everybody's coming from a different place. And it just warms my heart for my kids to say, oh, well, that makes sense for their family. And just having this whole perspective, because this is a life skill, they're never going to forget this time. And this is when they've had to dig the deepest to have resilience and compassion and grace for other people. And that I think that they're just going to continue to do and know we're here for them. Also, in these times when like everything's falling apart, it feels like. <laughs> and, and what worked last week doesn't work this week. And what's works this week may not work again. Given the name of the show, I'd love to hear one of your most impactful growth moment, which I'm sure comes from some moment of adversity or struggle or bad luck or failure. And so I'd love to hear one of the most impactful growth moments you've had. Prior, I think one of the reasons why it took me a long time to launch my business was because I leaned into fear of failure and a desire for perfectionism and, oh, this has to be just right before I do this. And it was like almost when I took myself away from that fear of failure and changed my mindset of making it, it's not a failure, it's a challenge and it's an opportunity for growth that I've moved. I've moved mountains, you know, because of that. And so it's kind of funny. I don't even think of, and I don't file them as failures anymore. And this has been all really growth since becoming a founder, because I think before becoming a founder and putting that title after my name that I would say, oh yeah, well, I didn't do this or I didn't do that, or this was something I wanted that I didn't get into. And then after becoming a founder, I'm like, you can't think like that. And you can't hold on to that. You can say, oh, that didn't work. Okay. What are we going to do differently? But I saw those challenges that have changed the way the platform's built, but I don't really know if I can categorize things as failures anymore. <laughs> Last question for me that I'd love to hear people's answer is what's next for Dr. Allison Hall? I'm real excited. I mean, like, you know, you can 
So I've been thinking about this business for a long time and did all the legal work for it. I got the technical piece going. I created the connections, doing the business strategy. And now it's like, it's there. I'm onboarding clinicians. I see the strategy. I see what we're doing. And now it's just building the partnerships. I'm really excited about scaling this, building it very intentionally with the specialty and the and then also bringing on the team that complements my skills and shares the mission of inclusivity and and really building a platform that serves marginalized communities and families with complex needs and shares the same mission and goal. And I'm just real excited. It just feels like it's all kind of come together now. And every call I have with a potential partner or a potential clinician, it just like fires me up even more. So I'm super excited. That's fantastic. Well, I'm excited to hear more about it as you grow. Allison, thank you so much for taking the time. I had a blast chatting with you. Yes. No, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I look forward to uh, speaking with you again. (laughs) 